here we are, and welcome to a very intimate edition of the Friday Night Movie Podcast. I guess it's intimate, but without being physically proximate, because we are during this crazy time where all of us are in our homes, so it's a good thing we always did this podcast via Skype. I got my two sisters. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I got my two sisters here, and we've got an amazing guest that I'll introduce in a moment. Before we get to him, Lily, how are you doing in Spain? Um, under quarantine, like for real, not like, oh, not because of you guys, but because like the police have no, locked everybody. No, out. because like we're in lockdown, like the whole country is on lockdown. And, um, and yeah, these Spaniards are actually behaving. We, I walked my dog and got stopped by two cops I mean, and mom the- was like, there are cops here. <laughs> and I was like, I guess here they are. And so they were like, carnival's were like, over. We can behave. I was, right. I was going to say in retrospect, was it a good idea that, uh, carnival went ahead or well, bad idea? I'm would you assuming say? that it was just un- like made it under the line <laughs> of what was appropriate at that time. Um, but yeah, we are, the whole country's on lockdown. Everybody has to stay in their house. Um, you can leave to go to work, um, to go to work. It was like so weird. The president or whatever of the government, he's not actually president of the country, but I don't understand how it works here, whatever. And this is a great political episode. Maybe our guest can <laughs> clarify the Spanish government for me. Um, the president of the government said that, you know, you, he's like listing all these places that you, you can go, you know, you can go to work. You can obviously, if you work in a hospital, if you have a, a medical emergency, um, if your business is open, you can go to it. And the businesses that are open are like hospitals, pharmacies, supermarket, and he goes hairdressers. And I'm, and I'm like, we're all like looking at each other. And we're like, the hairdresser union must have like seriously, <laughs> like, you know, gotten like rough with him. I was, we were like, how does that make any sense? And I was like, I'm going to go surfing, guys. Like, I'm definitely going to surf you tomorrow. And I'm like, what are you going to do if the cop stops you? And he goes, I'm telling him I'm getting my hair done. <laughs> I'm going to get my roots. I'm like, oh, I, I guess. But he's not going but surfing because he's following he's not. the rules. Good. Everybody's right. following the rules. Becky, you're in Berkeley. We used up time to ask how people are doing on Lily. So I am going to... Because I'm on, like, lockdown. Like, I'm serious. Uh, and I'm I have gonna... parents we're here. We're on, like, currently we're on, like, you know, community isol- like community social distancing, which for the most part seems that people are sticking to home, but also there's a lot of crowded coffee shops. It's a little... The reality hasn't hit people here quite yet. Well, well, uh, the reality has hit back home here where I live, and we have a great guest from the region. He is a nationally known journalist, TV contributor, podcast host, Mr. Josh Krausar of the National Journal and the Against the Grain podcast and and column. I guess your column and podcast are of the same name. Yeah, this is, I'm trying to dominate the against the grain brand, but uh, I'm branching out. I'm branching out to TV and movies, uh, especially during the quarantine. Exactly. Especially with, there's nothing else, there's nothing else to do other than watch TV and and movies in the time of the coronavirus. So we, we just caught up recently. You came back from being on the campaign trail covering the American election. We were talking about 
podcasts and movies and television, and I thought it would be exciting to give you a break from all of the serious stuff because on, on this podcast, we have a policy of nothing new or important <laughs> that, that we talk about. Um, but before we, we get into all of our topics, we're going to talk about political movies. I would just love to know a little bit about, you know, your work. What's your mission every day in your work? And you have been essentially all over the United States covering politics for well over a decade. Decades, maybe? Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of a, an election analyst, probably is a good way to put it, where I have a twice-a-week column in National Journal, and I have... Uh, regular appearances on TV and radio, on Fox, NPR, BBC. Um, in fact, I always tell people that I know someone's politics, whether they saw me on Fox or heard me on, on National <laughs> Public Radio. And I, you, also do a different, you also do a different awesome. like On NPR, you have to have, I, I enjoyed your, you know, the, the intro there, Shy, because, you know, on NPR, you have to have a very quiet kind of librarian style voice when you're on the show. But with any other show, you kind of talk normally. So I've learned kind of, <laughs> Different audiences, different politics. I, I travel, so I, I don't do that much travel. But honestly, I think I made my last trip the, the lot, what about a week and a half ago, coming back uh, from New York for a Super Tuesday. Um, but I would literally spent most of the last month in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, uh, talking to voters, going to all the campaign events. Um, not going to happen for a while now, it yeah. seems. But uh, and, and it does also seem like politics is slowing down a little bit because if you can't do a campaign event you can't do a rally if you can't speak to people it kind of uh, defeats the purpose of politics so i have a feeling we'll see a lot more coverage of corona all the time and not a whole lot of coverage about the election maybe maybe some zoom town halls so uh before you had this illustrious career though uh, you were are uh you ha i guess you had radio fame as a young boy in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area as known as a young man named Josh from Springfield, correct? You told me this great story about how as a, as a young... So this is this... Josh has been training for his appearance on this podcast since he was a child. Maybe tell us a little bit about your, your radio ambition. I didn't know you were going to bring this up, but I'd be glad to. Uh, <laughs> long, long uh, story short... Yeah, I used to call. I was. I'm a big sports fan, so like the one, you know, there's not going to be a lot of sports on for the foreseeable future. But I used to, when I was like 12, 13 years old, would call into the local sports radio uh, shows. So uh, one of the hosts actually uh, wrote 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 about my name. He didn't know who I was, but I was Josh from Springfield, Virginia, and he referenced me in in, in a chapter uh, in in his book. And uh, I, I continued that that fame through through college. We uh, we this story I didn't tell you, but it maybe will make its debut on the on the on the podcast. <laughs> but when I was in college, um, the Nationals, the Washington Nationals, right after college, moved from Montreal, where you know we, we're from, where we grew up, <laughs> Canada to to Washington. And I was doing a what was then known as a blog, writing about the, the Nats when they first moved here. And I got contacted by a producer from ESPN during the first couple months they were playing in Washington. And they wanted to know if I wanted to bring my friends along on a road trip from Washington to Baltimore to see both the Nationals and the Orioles on the same day. So long story short... Um, Sports Center featured me in 2005 on a segment with my friends, which I, I honestly didn't age that well uh, for about 15 years ago, for 15 years ago. But and it was just sort of strange that 
you know, you would ever be interested in why I was interested in going to a baseball game and why they were they were featuring me of all people. But um, yeah, there was a, a five-minute segment. This, is it available? And, and, and by the way, that yeah, I, I actually it's been kept under lock and key. I haven't really had <laughs> to promote it since it's come out. Been doing bigger and better things, I guess, since then. But um, well, <laughs> the, I, fun, the funny the funny thing is though. Um, we, we, you know, there's a camera, and this is during the, the peak of the reality television craze, and you don't realize how many people it takes to, like, you know, film and, and put together a segment. So it was me and three friends of mine who, who were at a sold-out Red Sox-Orioles game at Camden Yards, and they actually bought us the ticket, so we were actually sitting, like, I, 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 it's not really ethical, I don't think, to, like, you know, make up news or to, to, to cause an event from happening. But they actually bought us, you know, front row seats at Camden Yards. And literally there was a camera crew of three or four people like following our every move and micing us up. And, you know, it really gave you a sort of a firsthand experience on what the whole reality TV, people thought we were on like the real world or one of those shows. <laughs> well, um, we keep, so I'll, I'll, show, I'll have to show it to shy oh, sometime. I, but, uh, we keep I have not, I've not publicized it since, since, since then. We keep Lily's Bat Mitzvah video under lock and key, but then I periodically release sections of it to our podcast audience. So, <laughs> so we're. I don't we're, mind. So, you, being such an expert in politics, be such an expert in um, in this in your day to day life. Let's take this into the fictitious world. Let's talk about. Let's. It is the season. Let's talk about political movies, in general. What for you, and and let's we'll go around the horn after Josh takes it. What for you makes a good political movie? What details do you need to see so that you are actually enjoying it? Uh, so for me, you know, having covered politics, and and, and this is true of like news movies and political movies, but a sense of realism is absolutely necessary. And uh, you know, any show that is so cliched or any movie that's cliched or just doesn't understand the industry, doesn't understand how politics works. You know, even if it's a great movie, even if it's a, you know, there's a good storyline, totally, totally loses me. Um, I'll give you one, one quick example um, of a show that's totally, like, lost me, even though I am addicted to every, like, political news movie, TV show out there. But there's this new morning show, uh, which is about, like, the morning news industry, and I've been trying to with Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer and... Aniston, a lot of good, lot of lot of good talent. Um, uh, what's her name? Reese Witherspoon also in it. Um, but it's so unrealistic. It's so cliched. Jennifer Aniston doesn't really like do do do. She may be a maybe a well known actress, but I don't think she really does the role any justice. But I can't. I, you know, I had a hard time watching it past the few episodes because it didn't really reflect the reality uh, of the news industry. So anything that's about politics or any anything in, that I'm used to in real life, if it's not reflecting a certain sense of reality, you've lost me. Okay, cool. All right, Beck, how about you? What what makes a good political um, movie for you? So a little bit of the opposite for me. It <laughs> it has to be a little absurd. It has to kind of dig into that space of the absurdity of politics and then hyperbolizing that, right? So it can, you know, be satire or just on the border of it. Um, so that for me is what was what I like in a in a political movie. All right, and Lil, mm-hmm. how, Lil, how about you? I would say like it would be the same for pretty much anything I watch. I want to see a star-crossed lover situation. <laughs> you don't care. So, <laughs> you just want to... Like, if there's some sort of forbidden love situation, whether it be in an election or 
in this Scottish countryside. That is my kind of film. But, yeah, I would say that, you know, for me, realistically, it's more the writing. I, like, I watched a bit of the morning show. I didn't get that into it. I don't think it's because it wasn't realistic. I don't know enough about the nuances of, you know, of that type of uh, job to say, ah, this isn't real. But, you know, show me a martial arts school on a TV show and I'll say, that's not real. But, well, yeah, you know, I wonder but, if what Josh Kai. Think, I wonder Cobra if what Kai. Josh yeah, thinks like, I, is we're real. We're watching Cobra Kai I and we're like laughing. Third. But that's probably like you with the morning show. But, no, but I, I would say that I, good right. Can I finish my answer? No, I feel like Josh? what Josh thinks is Becky, Becky said no. You can't finish your answer. I, okay. no. I just, well, <laughs> I, I'm older than you, so I'm just going to keep talking. I think that um, good writing like a, a cap, like a like a good writing, good story. What counts as good writing? The, like punctuation. States, like you always okay. say, no, not like there's Remember? good states. There's the tension. Story? You know, you're invested in the characters. No, but my question is, and like, for me, I'm okay, when, when we dig into it, I'll ask my questions continually. Continue. Well, all right. Oh, now, I talked over you enough that now now you're done. Good. All right, so let's talk about. Let's talk about casting. Like, for example, for oh, so for me, by the way, on a political thing, because it reminds me so much of the world that we live in here in the Washington area. It's very, very touchy. What I'll go in, I almost can't really figure out which ones I like and I don't like. But I have, I have room for so many, and then I'll very much get into them. Um, for me, the casting is a big deal. I love when they really nail a particular casting, and so that's, this kind of leads to my next question. Like for me. Christian Bale as Vice President Cheney and Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld, who are not guys who look like those guys in real life, but because of their acting, they, they, they created these interpretations of the characters. Or Franklin Carell Jello. played Rumsfeld in that yeah. movie? Oh, yeah. He was fantastic in it. And Or, or Franklin Jello. And Rockwell. Then Rockwell played... Bush. Yeah, play Bush. Okay. Uh, and Frank Langella as Nixon and Frost Nixon. These ones that are almost like counterintuitive, but the person soaks themselves up in a part and gets you really, really, really connected to that character. That works really well for me in terms of casting. Josh, do you ever think about the casting of these? Do you ever see someone and you're like, I can't believe they got so-and-so to play someone I know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Charlize Theron as Megan Kelly was amazing, and uh, Bomb Bombshell was a good. I thought a good movie. Uh, it it actually hit hit a little close to home because the, the opening scene features uh, actually the political. It actually features the real life footage of the political director at Fox News, who I'm very good friends with, who I'm I'm very close with, and I was almost worried that they would use some footage of me on the movie <laughs> after seeing it. So, um, but sure, I mean to the point. Mar Charlize Theron. Just you, you could. I mean, I met Megan Kelly once, so it's not like I have any, any like, but watching her on TV, you've seen her, her a lot on her TV. mannerisms. She looks exactly the same in the movie, and, and, and Charlie Theron does not in real life. So, whatever prosthetic makeup they, they did, I mean, it was surreal kind of watching these scenes, uh, mm -hmm. where she was playing the role. And I think she reflected her, her mannerisms, her personality in a way that just, um, really made the movie. The movie was a pretty good movie otherwise, but that, that, that was what would, right? And if it was an excellent movie, but with. they did. A shit casting job, then you would it would never have worked. Mm -hmm. so, right. That was the takeaway yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah, well, that's. Back. I mean... back. How about you? Good casting. In that movie? No, in any movie. Or in just in. Oh yeah, you saw Bombshell. No, the other I day. prefer to watch movies where the casting is terrible, 
and I hate all the actors. Yeah, of course. I feel like it's crucial. <laughs> what, in what's these... a good one? What's one that you like? Oh, um, well, for me, uh, and this is where I want to come back to what I was trying to speak over Lily about. So like a little annoying. You're, is you're that welcome. is it rooted in realism or is it rooted in the absurd and the casting is crucial in this show, in this is Veep or equally so in the movie in the loop. Um, I think that the casting is each, it's not just the main characters. It's all of the side characters and these are fictional people, but it's supposed to, to someone like me, it feels so absurd. It's real, but shy. You've said it just feels so real. It's too oh, no, real it's to watch real. the casting on Veep. To right. Me, and then in the loop similarly, because if a lot right. of the Veep takes it's place like, what, for you, like a reality show. Yeah, that to me those characters are are dead on cast perfectly and right and, and, and even though perfectly. they're not real, even though they're fictitious characters, they have to kind of they have to create this world that is so so real to us. But I see that show as being absurd, and that's my but, question: is that but, maybe what I see well, is absurd is actually. So you've said many times, Becky, that details really matter for building a world and making it relatable. They get the details so crisp, in my view. Um, I'd love to know what you think, Josh, because you, you as a a journalist, you're you're represented in that world as well. Well, the the, um, no, I agree. Veep is one of my all time favorite shows. By the way, I love absurd comedies. I I love the awkward. I mean, just generally, like you you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm is, is. one of my all-time favorite shows outside of the world of politics, but that is something that I just out the Ali G show, Borat, the, those types of comedies. Okay. Will even his involved. new one, his new uh, one. I didn't see the new. Uh, which okay. was the new one? What was that? The one uh, with uh, where he, where he dresses up as incognito and interviews people. Oh well, they, that, that but had he interviews Chitani. Right. There were some real. I mean, I've never laughed louder in, in his when Sasha Baron Cohen is in peak form in, in some of those 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 segments. But as far as Veep goes, the, you're right. The, the attention to detail is is, is tre- tremendous. You know, you have people that I you know that, that they they used to actually come to like the White House Correspondents Dinner. The the cast of Veep would really? often parade around town, and people would go and say, well. I'm, I, you know, they, they would basically compare themselves to like I, I'm actually a Dan when it comes to, to beef, right? Um, it would happen all the time because it was so realistic. Everyone's when House of Cards was was on on, on Netflix years ago, um, that that really did not reflect reality, and I think it really jumped the shark after its first season because of that. that I point. watched one episode of that show and I was like, nope, not doing this. Yeah. But it seems like Shai, that whole realm, the minute it touches a little bit too close to home, you're out. Whereas it seems like Josh loves it. Well, well the- I was going to make a point about Veep, um, and Shai was like, Shai and I were talking about this in our in our little uh, pre show meeting. But uh, <laughs> the last two seasons of Veep, I think, jumped the shark a little bit. They they the characters of the characters, especially Jonah. Uh, you know, and, and the, yeah, I, and I agree. It, it actually lost me a little bit. Like, right, it was still good, but it was not nearly up up the snuff as the rest of the show. If a show's gonna go seven years and characters are gonna transcend from characters to caricatures, or they start off as caricatures, then they become characters. Well, then you expect them to be characters, and then if they go back to being caricatures, this is how I felt about The Office. I felt like The Office started one way, then it built a lot of depth and a lot of growth, and then in that last season and it just 
undid everything back to the way it originally started and minus Dwight getting married but like the rest of it was just, and, and so I had a hard time with that like Andy Bernard's character because I don't know right. if you're an office fan Josh but the I would I was yeah that Andy Bernard's character was on this like really interesting track Path, of growth yeah. and then they're just like now nah, we're gonna make him crazy again and that mm-hmm. was all they did with him for the last season things like that so so I'm with you I've, I've, I've stopped watching Veep Whatever the episode where Dave Foley played the Finnish ambassador or or diplomat, where he makes some like advance, I think at Selena, uh, that's like when I stopped watching. Not not out of principle, just that show was just too, too like it just too close to home. But I, I will get well, back to it. It's a it's a masterpiece. Yeah, there, there was also the aide, the senator who makes fun of his aide, and it got so ridiculous and absurd to the. I mean, and it, it actually amped up in the final season or two. That it just those those little things were, you know, like you said, more of a caricature, less of, uh, you know. Um, I find it. I still find it hard watching the actors from that show in other things because they're such crass, crude, you know terrible people on veep though when i see them in other shows or movies i it takes me like a few minutes to recalibrate that guy who is jonah i will have a hard time him being anyone but jonah but yeah but what's her name um uh you know veda from my right anna Anna klumsky is always going to be my girl and no but like anna Anna klumsky was in that other movie that in the uh, loop in the loop yeah. that is a similar character. She kind oh. of, I have a, I don't know what the reality is, but it sounds like she may have gotten that role because of the, because the of in the loop. Yeah. yeah. In the loop is made by the same person. And person. so it's almost like a prototype. And I believe it's based on a British show called the thick of it, uh, which is the, oh. the predecessor of in the loop and in the loop kind of transitions it to an American story. And okay. So with all of these different political characters we're talking about all these different characters is there a person it doesn't need to be a particular president or a presidential candidate uh but is there a person in one of these political uh political movies that's fictitious that you would vote for right like the 2020 election's coming up and uh, this is not to say anything bad about any of the candidates this is just saying if you had in any vacuum if there was a fictitious political leader right like some people often talk about jed bartlett they're like why can't we have jed bartlett back or other people want the guy that uh president palmer from 24 right oh well, why, why can't we have him uh which which fictitious politician or political character would you vote for in in an election Chauncey Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm well, being a little bit, bit of a little bit <laughs> tongue in cheek there, but um, <laughs> for 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 humor uh, purposes, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I can't think of anyone as far as like an actual president who, you know, even even Jed Bartlett. West Wing got a little too sanctimonious in the final years um, to the to the point where I thought it was trying. It kind of got got drunk on its own success in many ways. And Aaron, Aaron Sorkin, uh, you know, I think a, lo- a lot of his challenges have been kind of rooted in, in sort of being a little too sanctimonious in other projects he's done, even though I generally like his work. Um, you know, um, I think of Primary Colors reflecting an actual president. Oh, and, 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 forgot about that one. That's a good one. I, I, but, I, I mean, that, if that, if that was, I mean, that was uh, loosely Are you saying you want John Travolta to be the president? No, no, or he's Bill Clinton. Uh, Jack Stanton he's talking about. So yeah, Bill Jack Clinton. Stanton, who was basically Bill Clinton, Bill but Clinton. it wasn't theoretically <laughs> of the same, same right. person. Uh, Non-Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton. Mine, so me, 
So one of the, I think, so pol politicians are often portrayed in these very either satirical or in such a way that you're, you're supposed to be demystified. And there's one particular character that I think has inspired a lot of public servants in general, and that is Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. I think her and the character that is her love interest, Ben Wyatt, if they ran on a ticket, these are people who I think are who have learned a lot. They've learned to be practical. They learned to make compromises. They're not particularly um, ideological, but they're like deep believers in in service to the people. And so for me. Those characters, I feel very lucky that we had those characters to look up to uh, uh, when I was a public servant in particular. And they're a little bit off the beaten path. And honestly, I've been slightly involved in some local government issues this year. And just a little bit of it is the hardest thing I've ever endured. And, and so my respect for them went even higher with the fact that they did what they did. Plus, I could watch mashups of those town halls for the rest of my did life. Did you ever did you ever figure out why there is no mayo on that sandwich <laughs> that you found <laughs> in Ramsey <laughs> Park? There's, there's no mayo. I found a sandwich in Ramsey Park in and there park, was no and there's mayo. No mayo. <laughs> it's a favorite uh, town hall. So that was my that was moment. my passionate plea for uh, you know, plea for for Leslie Nope. What about you guys, Lil Beck? Well, I feel like since you're already breaking the rules by doing TV shows instead of movies, then I want Tom I said, Hanks to I be said, president. I said fictitious political Yeah, but colleges. the whole episode is about movies, so I feel like that was like a little bit of a misdirect. So then but, I just but, choose Tom Hanks. I want Tom Hanks to be president. Uh, to be fair, oh, you in, just 1990, in 1997, when I was in, when I, before I went, you know, went to college, I... I may, I began the Tom Hanks campaign. So we will talk about Did Tom you? Hanks. Oh, yeah. When yeah. I went on your course, I was like, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is the person. Everyone should. But, you know, I feel like I was on that Tom Hanks for president. Now, I will say, during this whole crisis, Colin Hanks' Instagram has been just lovely to keep track of. That right? guy's amazing. <laughs> I love that actor. I he's think a gem, he's, just I, like his dad. He's, he is. And I feel like in some ways... He's gotten less than he should in terms of his talent because he is his father's son. It's almost like he's got that as not baggage. They're obviously a really close family, but like I feel like we'd see even more from him if he was just going to be on his own merits. That was okay. well. Since, since, just as an aside, since we're all off track, anyways, as Fargo, the TV show, most underrated TV show. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I love that so, season that he's just, in. Just a shout love, out. Love, love that Ooh, he's in a season. See, I so I, I saw the movie Fargo in the theater with my cousins who are older than me and it like put me into like an emotional spiral. I just, I could not handle that movie. It just, I've, I've never liked it. It always upset me. Oh, it's like one and of the so, best movies ever. I, I recognize so that it's a big deal. And so, but then when I see, when I, I hear You're about, so the show, sensitive. I hear about the show, I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> All right, Lily, who do you vote for? Who, who's your fictitious politician? Um, Michael Douglas, an American president. Despite I the lack I... of sensible geography in that movie. Do you, do you remember that? There's this line that my wife... There's Allie sensible is... love in that movie. <laughs> and I follow him on Instagram, and I'm telling you, I'll follow that man anywhere. He just seems like he's really got it together. <laughs> but there's, really this, there's this conversation about her being trapped in DuPont Circle on oh, the way right. from Georgetown in, to in... the White House. Oh, that... That's the kind of stuff Josh is saying. <laughs> that's actually Josh something that makes me nuts, because Washington, D.C. is always in movies. You'd think they could just get a map out 
like they name streets I've never heard of. They show pictures of Toronto all the time. Like they don't even right. try. It drives me nuts. Right. The, the blacklist, the blacklist, which I think takes place in Washington D.C. It does. Looks like it it's does. in a parking lot in Michigan. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. That's really funny. It was like outside shot I of the did, Capitol. I did love watching the Americans though, and them being like Alexandria, um, Falls Church, and I'm like, oh, every time it comes on the screen, I'm like, Jose, that's where Shy lives. <laughs> I mean, not in Falls Church, but I'm just like around there, somewhere around there. I and I. Yeah, the Americans know. is a great example of. I mean. It's an amazing TV show, but the reality to both right, they're like, politics and Washington DC. They're like at the uh, he's but, like at the FBI and then home in like Alexandria in like fifteen minutes, and I don't know that much about it, but that doesn't seem plausible. Yeah, we have a lot of trouble. Um, but like so, the rest of it is real. About <laughs> the American. Yeah, well, you know, given given real. what we know now about actually, I think it, I mean it's the details. That allow the the, fan, the the fancifulness to really take hold. Like if you don't get the details right, you're you're losing me on everything else. But but you are a big. So I'm in the minority here. All three of you are big fans of the Americans. I've never I watched love, an episode. I the love the Americans. Gave me so much anxiety that I, I, I have to be honest. Me. I think it was halfway through or the beginning of the second to last season. I got really bored and I couldn't keep, I have this like a thing I do where I just am like partway through a season. I'm like, meh, I feel like if I never saw another episode, I wouldn't be missing anything. And I've been told. The last last season was amazing. I've been told. Yes. I've been told to just skip the second to last season and watch. Like I did that with Dexter. I think I skipped whatever the Jimmy Smith season was, was I skipped that one. How does mom feel about you skipping anything with Jimmy Smith? I don't think she knows. Our mom is very serious about Jimmy Smith. I skipped like a couple of seasons of that show. Cause I was like, eh, I feel like I'm not going to miss much here. Now, so. now you, we rarely talk about the Americans because I don't watch it, but I feel like if I have three people who actually liked and watched the show, Lily, Lily really what good. Americans, you'd have to lead any conversation about the Americans. What What do you ask? What do Americans fans talk about? Ooh, how sneaky they were in that episode. What's Great the... costumes. Where are the, like, disguises? Well, I Where's the new safe house? I mean, I don't know if, Josh, it's just so unrealistic for you to watch that show. I don't know how much you know about Russian spies either. But I think that, like, great acting. Maybe he can't say how much he knows. All right, he probably can't. But I think that show has great acting, generally pretty good writing. I would say that second to last season you could meh. But other than that, um, and really good, like, conflict. You're like, you're like, rooting for the bad guys but you don't want to but they are they really bad they're conflicted within themselves there's a lot of layers to that show so i had a couple things that i like in movies character development like the nuance of, of characters and that show has everything mm-hmm. and just you don't want to be bored uh, i know that the, with the exception of the second to last season which i agree right. was a little right. slow every you're at the edge of your seat um at every every moment and there you know there are a handful of shows that that will do that but really the americans like checks all the boxes whether it you um, know whether it's the realism of washington dc in the 1980s uh the realism of of uh you know of with how you know the government and its operations uh, the bureaucracy and uh yeah just and then just the amazing storyline that was really edge of your seat uh, type type drama agreed what about homeland is that in? Do you feel that yes, way about? Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, Another show, season, Shy can't watch because it stresses him out. Yeah. First season was like one of the best seasons of Agreed. any TV show ever. The rest of it is sort of eh. It's like a B B minus type type drama. Mm. 
Which season has Morena Backer in? Another one of my favorite the actors. First two. First season. Oh uh, yeah. I love yeah, her. First. She's amazing. Of which show? Homeland. Oh. How many seasons are you're there? On because... pod... You're on a podcast, Becky. <laughs> yeah. How many seasons are there of that show? Because I only oh, watched now. The last one is on maybe eight. I don't know. Because that's again one of those shows where I watched like the first two and then just assumed it ended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just really? assumed there was no. Actually, sometimes it was like after the second season, I was like, "This is too absurd. There's no way it's going to continue." And then in my mind, it just stopped airing. Like, isn't this guy on billions now? <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Well, so I haven't watched the last two seasons because I it just hasn't really been up to snuff. But as far as like a, actually come it comes to mind that like if you had to pick a president from an actual character, I would put Saul Berenson. In, in, in oh that. yeah, yes, I really one. I really did love the first couple seasons of it. It was we were very addicted. Mandy Patinkin. Love Mandy Patinkin. Saw Mandy him. Princess saw Bride. Tom Hanks is VP. He could be Chunks. I mean, or, there's or like, or maybe, you know what? No, I, I, he would be like his chief of staff. I Secretary of State. Secretary. Oh, yeah. All good jobs for him. <laughs> oh, we did at the end. You're just naming. Can we just make up our own fictional White House when we're when we're done of like our favorite of like which actors? I feel sure. like that should be. Sure. Yeah. We can. You can end. You can end. Yeah, on we, that. I'm yeah. not gonna... I just wonder, I'm curious, Josh, after, after this era of politics that we're living in currently, so we're in the present, so it's like, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, will they be able to make TV shows about politics in the White House and that kind of stuff ever again the same way we've seen before? Is there a before and after for the way, is it only ever going to be represented like me from now on? <laughs> Well, I mean, the absurd shows, I think, still have a nice, nice, nice half-life. You know, I, I, I don't know if there's much of a market for, like, the reenact, like, the Veep version of the Trump White House in, in eight years, because I almost feel like, aside from, like, maybe putting on, having caricatures and characters that look like some of their doppelgangers i don't know if there's really a market for kind of i mean it's so we were living in a very absurd right. time we're already living the, the humor show. the ridiculousness I, I don't know if there's going to be much of a market in five years for the drama of the trump white house in, yeah. you know, in real life i feel like we we just need more leslie nopes we need more people just to bring joy into our lives and less stress so what are so what are your top political movies then like movies that that represent politics we've sort of we've danced around all the details what makes it good the characters etc what what for me my top one is 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 always going to be wag the dog i saw it when i was a teenager and it was it was pre all of the technology that we have right now but they do some i mean it's it's also it's really interesting because as at that time it, it in a sense celebrates the notion of deep fakes right now it's a far more terrifying mm -hmm. concept um so so i'm not saying I, I i i'm not saying like now if i watched it it would have the same it would have the same uh feeling but it it, it, it now actually has a much more ominous feeling to it because there they're sort of sending up the idea that you could make up a fake war and create fake footage of things now we're living in a world where this is like a you know a danger um but to me the the writing and the interaction between de niro and dustin hoffman in that movie is just like perfection a lot of so the times good. when you see when a lot of the times when you see two actors of that caliber in a movie together 
it's kind of a dud. You're like, oh, just overstuffed cast with famous people like The Irishman, which I didn't the watch. Irishman. But, um, I, I could, I saw it for everybody, and I'm saying The Irishman. <laughs> Correct. And, and, uh, but those two, like in Meet the Fockers, were also great together. Those two just carry that movie in such a brilliant look at way. Some, look at a spark, those two, then. I just feel, I know, I feel like that movie is Dustin Hoffman's movie. I feel like he's, he's so delightful in it. He's playing into such a a great um he's playing into a really great hollywood stereotype so uh, it's very fun so a couple of the others that are on my list of all time there's bob roberts with tim robbins i don't know if you guys have seen i've never i've never even heard of it it. which one's that it's a mock documentary about a a young conservative politician who is like a it's almost like a, a conservative version of a kennedy but he's also a protest singer who but sings about conservative issues so his big song is the times are a changing back i think is like the names of his songs and it's this mock documentary about the this character and his campaign and again kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways and, and then another one that means the world to me that i love i think this is actually my favorite one is the distinguished gentleman with Eddie Murphy, where he plays a, a, a member of Congress, or he plays a, a con man who runs for Congress because he has the same name as the congressman who died. And then, <laughs> so it's about his campaign, and then it's about him being in Washington and, and you know, his, his sort of con man personality clashing with that of Washington. I think with, like, a little bit more edge, that could have been, like, a great movie instead it's like a very 90s comedy maybe maybe there's like a remake potential for that movie yeah or a sequel i don't know but there's <laughs> there's there's a lot of great stuff in that movie how about you guys what josh go for no, i'll go i'll go because i i, I kind of split it up into like the drama category and the Ooh, i love that category that's good we love categories love so categories. like as far as the comedies go election we haven't talked about election yet um, I think that's an all-time classic, and it really—I mean, it really offers some a comedy. Though that movie stresses me—it's a hundred percent a dark comedy. And dark. I want to ask a question: Is election like? Did it sort of create essentially its own new subgenre? Like, I don't. What predates it as a high school political dark? you know, absurd comedy. Like, I feel like it was the first of its kind. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm asking. Well, it feels like it's set up sort of certain political archetypes for types of candidates. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, and I don't want to get too much into politics, but uh, one of my first jobs was to interview congressional candidates who ran for Senate and for the House. And one of the first people we interviewed over, you know, 15 years ago, 14 years ago now, was uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. And oh. without going into any great detail, everyone who had been at it was a like Chuck Todd was was one of my bosses, and there was another reporter who's now gone on to bigger and better things. But after interviewing Kirsten Gillibrand, we all said Tracy Flick. That was the initial uh. um, And I could go into deep, but but like Tracy Flick, I think sort of now, especially many years after the movie, sort of reflects a certain uh, prototype in, in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and for better for for worse, I guess maybe certain stereotypes people have. Um, but it, you know, that's a, not only is that a great movie, but I, I think because of that, it's kind of outlived it's, it's time. It's, it's, you know, shy, you mentioned a lot of movies that were ahead of their time. I think election is something we'll be talking about decades from now and kind of setting up certain political stereotypes and the, the characters of Reese Witherspoon and what was it? Chris Klein. 
who was mm-hmm. the jock. Oh, yeah. uh, the dump so jock. good. You know, that's Cl- that's I, Clinton I, Trump. I, that's Clinton Trump 20, 2016, basically. Oh, that's interesting. I, I want to go back and watch that movie because I remember I saw it thinking it was going to be like a like an old a teen school, comedy yeah old school hangover or the, i guess it came out before those movies but yeah like american right. pie type thing and i was like what is this super serious movie i think Isn't i might be able to like alexander payne that did it it is I think alexander he did rush if you saw rushmore it i think he did that alexander payne it is it is alexander payne but he rushmore is he's rushmore. Anderson. Anderson. It's yeah, Anderson, maybe. but it's the same thing rushmore it's the same and it's the same era of filming it's the same era i feel like those came out relatively close to each other within like a couple of years i just felt so bad for matthew broderick in the movie he makes terrible life choices i don't know why you would feel bad <laughs> i don't know he consistently makes I, the worst I, is choices. bueller maybe it was just very confusing I, I for me i remember thinking this is not a good adult yes like, this, this yes like, is... as bad of a teen as tracy flick is matthew right. broderick character makes poor choices yeah. Very true. How about you? Lil? She's so good in that, though. Can we just yeah. give a shout out to her? She's yeah, I mean, so great. She'd win an Oscar later, but you go back and see this small movie. And You're like, yep, she's that good. What about you guys, Lil Beck? Um, he, no, he did. Are you done, Josh? Well, if you want me to Oh, get, sorry. I, no, keep going, no, Josh. We've only done, done like well, a comedy. Yeah. Right, <laughs> he said so, one movie, Josh. Sorry. sorry, I'm on a podcast here. I forgot. Right, so, really quickly, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just run down the list. We talked about In the Loop, which I think is an underrated mm-hmm, right. gem, and it's the predecessor of Veep. Um, I also think that um, you've got you've to include Bean there yeah, from the British comedy. Um, where, where uh, Chauncey Gardner, if, the, the the character of Chauncey Gardner, who's like this idiot who becomes like a top advisor, and, and it's a very classic British. I actually am amazed how many people haven't seen that movie because to me it's I an just, absolute classic. I just be, watched. Be, be, being there is the name of it. I just watched the life and death of Peter Sellers, which was a biopic about Peter Sellers, and the grand finale of that movie is a whole thing on being there, which is really cool. So um, I would recommend that highly if you haven't seen it. But as far as the drama category, which uh, you know to me has a lot of classics, starting with like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Citizen Kane from the 30s and 40s, All the President's Men, which I saw in journalism in high school, my journalism class, and have seen it probably a dozen times since. Um, oh, Primary yeah. Colors, I like a lot. Um, and then I have like a, I don't know if it's politics in the, in the traditional sense, but one of my all time favorite movies is a, a movie, a German movie called the lives of others about sort oh, of yeah. um, East Germany during, during the Stasi Amazing. era. Right. It is an amazing, I mean, it is probably my all time top five, wow. movies, uh, which is wow. not explicitly about politics, politics, because but it, obviously... it is, it's considered a political, in the a political, political genre. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. I bring highbrow guests, guys. Highbrow yeah. guests. Shy doesn't uh, usually watch movies that are not not in English, but American. <laughs> Shy's patriotic not about his true. I'm just kidding. I love Indonesian martial arts movies like The Raid and The Raid 2. <laughs> well, I have to beat you down a little bit to make... I can't go after Josh with my list. So somebody <laughs> else has to go. Um, I'll go. I we've I have uh, most of the ones we mentioned already. So in the loop election, wag the dog. Um, other favorites of mine, and this obviously is in the absurd category, is uh, another favorite is Doctor Strangelove, which definitely I think counts as a political movie. I mean, it's more like war, but it's still politics. 
Um, at least policy. I, I, re, I, I poli- policy. <laughs> yeah. Foreign policy. But, but, but I rewatched it recently. That movie's magic. It's incredible. It's, I mean, and to think also that one of the things that gets me about this movie is that it's directed by Stanley Kubrick, right? And when we think Stanley Kubrick, we think 2001. We think Clockwork Orange, right? We think of these... What? The Shining. Right. These serious or terrifying films. Each one of his films is entirely unique. And he can do all of these, you know these like very big dramas or thrillers uh, and yet he can still make something as incredibly hilarious as Dr. Strangelove. Like decades later, you still watch it and you will be cackling and it's incredible. So uh, that one. And then the original Manchurian Candidate. The, oh, yeah. remake, the remake, there's also a remake, which I remember seeing and I definitely saw it first. And Washington. And Lee Schreiber. The original Frank. Sinatra. There, there's an old Frank right? Sinatra and Angela, so Lansbury, and Angela Lansbury. The first one's so the first one's perfection. The second one wasn't so, that bad. The second yeah, one wasn't like, that bad. It was pretty good. Like a fun '90s remake, but um, I think it was '90s, late '90s. But there and the original Manchurian Candidate. Uh, those would be the two additions to our list. I want to um, add. That's it. I'm done. Lil, how about you? Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. <sighs> Very funny. I think was, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, very funny. I will say this, that I did not, uh, The Lives of Others, I think I... There must be like a Netflix Christmas politics. um, I don't watch Christmas movies, so don't put me in that category. I watch the teen love stories. I watch all the teen comedies and like the Let It Snow type stuff, but not actual holiday movies. That's more Allie's bag. I will say that all the movies you guys mentioned... Absolutely. And Lives of Others, I would say that's an exception. That movie is incredible. But yeah, Wag the Dog, Primary Colors, In the Loop. But I can't feel comfortable putting them like on a top five because I would not say that they're my favorite. So I made my own list. And you can take it or leave it. And it is um, obviously The American President, which I think is one of the best political movies of all time. Um, Annette Benning. Maybe there's some geographical errors about Washington, D.C. shy. But you know what? I, I might have to agree with you awesome. because I can still... I've only seen that movie like once or twice as a kid. As a teen, young teen. But I can recall very specific scenes from it. It's like so I, There's good. some very memorable, adorable... I learned what a lobbyist was because of that movie. She, you know, she's a lobbyist. And like why it's a conflict of interest and everything. It was, it was fascinating. So it was educational. Yes. And then I put milk on there... Because I'm not sure if that counts as I a political milk, movie. I, think I mean, it's literally a about part. a politician and, being and elected. It's about, and it's about grassroots politics, and it's right? about yeah. changing, oh. you know, making big changes during a difficult time. I thought that time. movie. There's a Diane Feinstein cameo in it. Right. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I thought that movie was fantastic and just excellent. And also, again, like you know, a bit educational. Right, teaches you a lot about politics. Of course, Wag the Dog. That of all the movies that you guys listed, I was like that. You know, remains that movie impacted me. Like I did not understand how things could be distorted. It was like a reality check as a kid. It also has one of the most amazing scores of any movie. We were talking earlier about The Princess Bride. They're scored by the same person, I believe, Mark Knopfler, who is from Dire Straits. Oh wow! And it has the most oh, amazing. Very cool. So it ha- it has That's the a most, good trivia question. Uh, it has the most amazing. I mean, he has a way of making his guitar sound literally cry. And it's really, really amazing. Uh, and and then 
And then for my last one, mom and dad wanted me to put Canadian bacon on there. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, I guess, but it didn't come from me. It came from you guys. So I'm like, I can't put that on my list. I'm not going to cheat. So then I was like, what touched me recently about Canada, U.S. politics? And that's Super Troopers, too. <laughs> which is all about the You're tension right. between the two nations and, and, so. and, and a border dispute and there's and Mayor, a, there's the governor's okay. politics the, the governor played by okay. linda carter okay all right i will accept super troopers too that's yeah. great i don't know if you're a super troopers guy josh maybe you don't want to admit it uh, no we, I- yeah, I haven't. I can't say I've, I've seen Super Troopers we, we, too. So. We, Best to deny having seen those movies. Right. As, as opposed to me, who talks about going to see the original in the theater multiple times in college. <laughs> so, Beck, you wanted to talk ah. about you. I, I just want to give an honorable mention to a movie that I don't think is political, but I love the class election component of it, and that is Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite to me has a just great <laughs> underdog election vote for Pedro, the the dance oh, the that dance was... that he does in the moon boots that gets Pedro Such elected. A... I think yeah. it's a real great vote for the underdog movie. So Beck, you wanted to talk about your dream cabinet while we have a couple of minutes left. We got to do that, and then we're gonna go to our recommendations and shout. Oh, I thought we could like fill it out as like a team, like a team effort. Oh, okay. You know? So you want to draft like... someone? Draft your president. Go. I told you, Tom Hanks. Okay, so Tom, Tom Hanks for president. Oh, so you're just picking random celebrities you're not even paying. i'm just saying like random celebrities it can Anything either goes, be no a, like a real celebrity or a fictional character oh okay you know because you know how like when you're watching for example curb your enthusiasm half the people play themselves and then half the people play oh, actual okay. characters right, so so like it's that world okay i'm gonna put adam f goldberg in there because i just love everything <laughs> oh, where is he? What, what is he what's doing? his job press secretary press secretary no i maybe let's see he could be speech like, writer yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Adam. 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 Adam Goldberg. Adam F. Goldberg can be the head of communications. Don't you feel writer. like? Don't you feel like Larry David should be the press secretary? Nope. 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 Get want, there I don't want Larry him. David near anything that involves decisions <laughs> for real people. Like, to me, Larry David. I don't like curb your enthusiasm. At, like, oh, and I've been watching Seinfeld with my kids, and I was trying to explain to them. How like, could well, you? That's not appropriate for children. No. No. I found a list that's online of the episode. Telling them how. Like badly people behave. Well, no. So I was and with tell- no consequences until the last episode of the series. I was telling them, they were, I was telling you know they're all bad people. You shouldn't behave this way. They're like, no, no, only George is bad. So like to me, the guy based on Larry David is the one that even a child knows is bad. <laughs> all right, Josh, who do you draft into the uh, into the pool? Well, since this is like a, a draft, I'll yeah. put Paul Rudd as. I mean, he's ageless. Oh, he's not going to win. Need Paul Rudd in there. Paul yeah, Rudd is. Or he could be press secretary. Or VP, because then or if VP. the if the president dies, you know that you got someone like lovable. Oh that way about mr hank no 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 not him i please god protect please. that man god forbid uh and uh lily how about you who do you put in you pick a woman <laughs> well, we have to well, i'll pick leslie nope oh, okay she was gonna well, be my vp I, I, I she could be the head of parks and rec i guess she could be secretary of state are you kidding the sister the sister city episode with the venezuelan guys is still one of my favorite episodes of anything ever i don't know did you watch parks and rec no i love parks and rec parks and rec that was the last actual 30 minutes oh i i i've started to catch on to the good life a little bit but um on on, 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 on netflix 
Good Life, is that what, yeah, whatever it's called. Uh, good Life. That's your, that's that's good that, ma- that makes my point that I, after after Parks and Rec went off the air, I don't think I've seen any like broadcast comedy. Since then, so. It's okay. Uh, There's nothing as good, except for maybe Shit's Creek, but, you know. Yeah, but it's not on a real network, so it doesn't count. It's on a Canadian (laughs) network and only appears on Netflix here a year later. That's probably why no, like the ratings are like weirdly delayed. All right, every every week when we get together, we give our recommendations and our shoutouts, just things we've been watching, and and then shoutouts to people or things. And and on the political theme, I'll just say I finished the politician, Lily. I have fulfilled my obligation in the trades. I'm working. Of the I have way more Stumptown. episodes than you, Lily, so I'm working my way through Stumptown. I, watched, I cannot believe you're watching that whole season. I watched eight straight hours of. The you should have only had to watch the first eight episodes. Episode seven. <laughs> of the politician is a masterpiece the one about the voter i thought that was like one of the six or seven whatever it was that was one of the coolest things i've ever seen uh that show the second half of the season is really great the first half is like what is this wes anderson election wannabe show and then the second has josh seen it um i'm going to upon shy's recommend i heard it wasn't as good as advertised but shy gave me a pretty good i really liked it reason to watch it better I liked it a lot. And then the other thing Allie and I watched last night, which is like a solid rent in the scale of buy, rent, or man. Like, I'm glad I watched it on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix production, is The Dirt, which is the movie version of Motley Crue's autobiography. And as Allie said, it's just barely a real movie. Uh, But... Among the characters that's cast in it, actors that's cast in it, is the dude who played Ramsey Bolton, plays one of the guys oh. in the band, and oh, he's God. totally different than he was as Ramsey Bolton, and oh, that was a real better try. But it, it was, it was, it like Molly Crew sound like a real awful bunch of people, and <laughs> it's really like there's a couple of really sad things that happen to to Vince Neil's character, which are well documented in real life. Um, but but aside from that, they are just wholly unsympathetic, like terrible people. Uh, uh, even when they try to play them off as sort of fun and playful, it it doesn't it just doesn't work to glorify that '80s behavior very well. But I did enjoy we did enjoy the movie. It was a nice, easy going thing. Uh, who would like to give their erection shoutouts next? I'll go really quick. I um recommend I'm not okay with this on Netflix. It's oh. like 19 to 22 like minute episodes. I thought it was it was kind of this you've seen it all before but I didn't mind watching it put together in that order. And and you know what I mean that that the formulas of, you know, some sort of hidden superpower, a nondescript era, maybe the 80s, 90s, I don't think it's today. Um, maybe the seventies, it's very not clear. And then, um, uh, to me, at least it wasn't, um, yeah, like mystery and kids in high school and that kind of thing. Good acting, uh, pretty good casting. And so it's only eight, I think it's seven episodes or six, eight episodes. Um, I enjoyed it. Recommend that, especially if you're in quarantine and need something new to watch. And I do not recommend the Marky Mark Netflix movie, which... I've successfully I... convinced every single time it pops up, the algorithm buttons start clicking in Allie's heads because it, it was made for Allie, that movie. And she's 100%. like, how could it be bad? I'm like, it can't be good. It he, does, he does how take can his shirt off. They just, I'll give you they just did two one reasons. of these with Ryan Reynolds. And I was going to say, 600 so Grounds, Triple Frontier, that that's why it's bad. 
And it's like Peter Berg directed it. Like a monkey could have directed how? it. I don't understand how they got his name like attached to this project. How, like uh, you get all these people, but they're still missing the person who writes the movie. Like <laughs> I don't want Peter Berg. Get me like Steven Spielberg to write it and have you know a monkey direct it, but like a good script. Like what is wrong with them? It's so dumb. And the guy, um, oh my God, Winston. Duke? Is that his name? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that, yeah, Winston Duke from Us, the dad from Us, and the guy from Black Panther is in it as his, like, counterpart. Oh, I love him. And, and you're like, I know you can do so much more. He's amazing. He's amazing, but he was just, like, okay in it. And Alan Arkin, what a waste. There's a lot of yelling because everybody's yelling in their Boston accents. I'm like, I get it. The movies takes place in Boston. Uh, I get it. We need a moratorium on fake Boston accents. Real it's ones? like that okay. car. It's like that car park commercial, but for an hour and fifteen that, minutes. But that car park commercial, I would watch. For that an was hour amazing. And They're all minutes. from Boston. Was, I would like, like that Rachel as a Dratch show. And like Chris Evans, right? I will like, watch. I would watch that movie. That's a movie I want to see Netflix yeah. make, and it would cost way less than the set. What was the the Spencer, the Marks and Spencer? Oh, okay. Also, they that's just like call? put they they have an app where they just put words together, and that's the title of the movie. <laughs> the title generator. They're like, we need to save money on the title. Just generate something. <laughs> uh, who else has got a recommendation? I'll just keep watching the worst Netflix movies and reviewing them for you guys <laughs> to save you for having to watch them. You really do. You are such a sucker. You watch Thank every you. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling into the trap. This week, I watched the fourth and, I believe, final season of Life in Pieces on Hulu. Oh, we started watching that because of you. Uh, we were dying of laughter. We were I'm dying. Sorry. That I, show is so good. It makes me so incredibly happy. Out of, like, the four stories, the way that it's done, so each episode is broken up into four short little vignettes, and it's all about the same family, and they all kind of interconnect at some point. There's always one that's, like, stand out, laugh out loud funny, and then, like, one that's, like, mostly funny, and then, like, a medium and a meh, which is fine. But that one that makes you laugh, oh, oh that'll get The one you. I just watched where Colin <laughs> Hanks and Zoe Lister-Jones have the boss over for dinner, and they don't remember the boss's wife's name, and they spend the entire time trying to guess her name. Was amazing. Uh, also, shout out to Jackie Kaplan, who was on the podcast, who was one of the assistant editors on that show. Oh, wow. We have cool. a connection to that show in the podcast. I love that. I love that. Just, it just reminded me again how incredibly funny Zoe Lister Jones is uh, and how underutilized Diane Weist is. I mean, why are we not seeing, seeing her all over the place? So Life in Pieces is a good because that that that's been on my like bubble list of TV shows. Yes, I yeah. So I there is a Thanksgiving dinner episode. Okay, it sounds like I, there is a Thanksgiving dinner episode <laughs> that I'm just gonna that say I'm you're laughing. welcome in advance okay. because it is going okay. to bring you joy you, in the deep depths well, of your belly. I have had a hard time reading the news this week and think, and I can't watch anything sad or depressing and I and finding that show again has really kind of kept me together this last week. Okay. This is this is what I'll be watching now. Yeah, and one of the great things about that show is that it's done each episode in four vignettes, so it, it moves really fast. It feels like you're always like, what? Did that episode just end? It's, it's, it's like four mini episodes. That are intertwined together. So it's always four stories that that you, you sort of catch things from different angles. And, oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's this bit 
Josh, you'll get it eventually. You'll get it when you watch the show. But there's this bit about 7-Eleven, how the hot dogs can't be legally called hot dogs <laughs> past, past a certain amount of time that they've been sitting. So then they're called wizard fingers. And Allie and I saw that like two or three years ago. And every, every once in a while, like we'll have made hot dogs in the house. And then we'll find one that's been sitting left over in the fridge for a few days. And Allie will just turn to me and be like, that's a wizard finger if I've ever seen one. So, live in peace. This show definitely big wreck. I, I, I don't know how. I think it's on the wrong. It was on the wrong network. That show didn't belong on CBS. You put that on NBC, or, right. or one of the networks, yeah. known, or, or even ABC, that that have right. It has that Modern Family kind of vibe to it. But CBS people like people are going there for their NCIS and you know all Metal Musil based uh, algorithm TV shows. So. Uh, Josh, uh, over to you. Any anything you recommend to the audience that you've been watching? Well, I'll go to like 2019 movie, the movie category. Uh, the two movies that didn't get the Best Picture Oscar, but I thought were amazing, were uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which, again, back to my theme of like getting every detail right. Now I wasn't around in 1969, uh, Los Angeles, but from from what I read, like they put more Quentin Tarantino put more money into recreating a set that was like exact to, to the like names of stores and to to every every little bit of ambiance. You can feel and, it's super authentic when you're watching I, it, except for the parts he ends yeah. up. Yeah. Well, That's no, I mean, so cool set, right. the I mean the set. I mean the details in the set. The soundtrack. Why awesome, made up yeah. part gets you too at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it yeah. Is I'm not a huge Quentin cool. Tarantino fan, but um, th- th- actually this movie kind of went against sort of his his tendencies in a, in a little. I mean, it, it still had sort of the classic tarantino qualities but he toned it down a little bit the storytelling was really good um and the music uh was very i mean a good soundtrack can make a make just the trailer alone i think it was with neil diamond uh, the the um what, what i forgot the name of the song but uh it definitely hooked me to the movie and we, these days we don't even get to go to the theater much at all because of kids and all that fun stuff so that was one of the rare movies where we actually got a babysitter and I also went to see that in the theater. I never go to the movies because there's never anything in English here. I, I saw that, and that was playing in English. I saw that alone in the in the theater. One of the few movies I've ever seen by myself. And I called my sisters and I was like, "You guys have to see yeah. this now." I was like, right. Yeah. Uh, and what was the other one? Uh, so this is we do two ups or two down or is it like you up do and down? Whatever or? you want, whatever you want to recommend. Right, I'll, I'll, give, whatever you want. I'll, I'll do like a really quick uh, two movies I think or actually two one movie one TV show that are really highly rated but I just didn't like at all. Oh, we love gems. those. We love that stuff too. Oh, yeah. Uncut Gems. Okay, Uncut that's gems. a hard one though. Two that's like two thumbs wow. down. It's a very stressful movie. So I feel like you're there. You're either in or you're out. In or you're out. You've got to love Adam Sandler and just, or or you've got to love sort of this just weird cinema quality. Mm-hmm. It, it's not your classic like heist no. movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was. There were a lot of movies that were kind of in the queue for for seeing at a, at a theater. We chose to see that one, and that was a big big mistake. Uh, the other one is a TV show which I have never gotten um, as much as a lot of other people have, but the marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Um, yeah. I am I, well on the record of not enjoying that show. Okay, well, I'm glad. That, is, that is an We're ongoing theme of a split where I'm just like, I'm just not. I mean, to Lily's credit, a... she warned me off of watching season three, so I haven't. Yeah, so it my sister recommended you. it to me. So I started watching it, and I was, again, trying to go, uh, try to figure out when it was going to 
catch on, but it just, it actually irritated me more and more. Um, and it, it also goes to some of the, you know, the details about like living in a Jewish world in 1950, whatever. There were certain things that were just a little cliched, a little off, and it was a little too... Um, uncomfortable. It can be a bit uncomfortable. Like not on your reactions, I think you're going to really like Life in Pieces. Yeah. (laughs) No, just talking about it, I I was actually writing it down as a a show on my list. uh, I've seen the promos for it and I was intrigued, but you know. But I also want to, I want to be sure you've seen Shit's Creek though at this point. I saw the first episode um, recently. So the first episode is one of those shows you got to get to like episode three or four before it really catches its rhythm because the first or even like a whole season yeah well i i recommend to people i loved it from day one in the middle and then go back and pretend the first few episodes are like the prequel explaining to you how they got there yeah that's a good way of doing it. the best episodes are once you've gotten past them arriving in the town and it's about them adapting and living in this town is what makes it so interesting Um, i'm actually going back and slowly re-watching the 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 series from the beginning and i have to say it's one of the few shows that as i re-watch episodes i love each episode more and more and more because i know the characters and i know where they're headed yeah knowing the payoff on that show it's one of those rare times where no Knowing how the that that show, by the way, tremendous character development, and I remember being about six or seven episodes in and running to a friend of ours, Lons, who uh, is one of the co-hosts uh, along with me of the Gold Nerds podcast, and I was like, Lons, I don't know, feeling this is this are these characters going to grow? And she's like, just stick with it, they are, and they do, and it's fantastic. Um, okay, so I just so I got a recommendation on on that show, which I hadn't heard of until. My, my friend said, you've got to watch it. So um, it goes to show that there's so much TV, like you can't even keep track of. And thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's giving me more I, with, with the, I mean, I have a feeling with no sports being cooped up in the house, that is going right. to binge a lot of TV shows. Yeah. The, those Quibi guys can't get their app started soon enough. They're like a few weeks off. They, they, they're they there. I'm sure Katzenberg has them like accelerated, whatever, doing the things to get it ready sooner. Uh, Disney Plus actually dropped Frozen 2 mm-hmm. and The Rise of Skywalker. Or no, uh, Frozen 2 on Disney Plus, The Rise of Skywalker on iTunes, like earlier than they had originally expected to make them available. That's like a people. gift for the nation. They're not well, free, though. You still have to pay them. <laughs> well, no. I mean, Frozen 2 is for their subscribers, so they're, it's not like those people hadn't already subscribed. Rise of Skywalker, that's true. They, they, that's just for something for people to buy. If they had, you know, screened right. it for free, I guess, maybe. They're like, how can we make more money off this virus? <laughs> Let's drop Star Wars early. Um uh, and with that, uh, let's t- let's hear where people can be followed. Now, Josh, you are a renowned podcast host, the host of Against the Grain. Uh, do you, we? I give you the option if you're like, I don't, I, I don't want any. I want plausible deniability. Having been here, you don't have to tell people where to follow you. But if you would, would you say your socials and other where, everywhere else people yeah. can follow you? So you can find my Against the Grain podcast on every popular podcasting platform, iTunes or I, whatever, any, anyway, it's the Spotify, all the fun stuff, uh, against the grain, just type in against the grain. You'll find it. It's the one, the other against the grains. We weren't the first to come up with that title, but it's the one with the big capital, uh, building. I think it's the top one on your, on Apple at least. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter and I, I, it's, it's all politics all the time. So, um, that may be for some people, not for other people, but it's at hotline. Josh hotline is the publication, uh, that, I work with 
which covers elections and campaigns. Very cool. Well, and uh, Becky, where can people follow you? On Twitter and Letterbox at PaperBKPrincess. And Lily. On Twitter and Letterbox, I don't talk much politics on my Twitter. All right. It's like a... The Spanish election. That, that's it's pretty... A, it, I try to, like, keep it real Yeah, neutral. Lil, tell us about that Spanish government president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want any spoilers. I'm not, not going to give any spoilers about this. <laughs> Where can people follow Who's in up? charge over there? <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at K Gomez on the Twitter and the letterbox. I feel like because we have a guest of, of national renown, you have to do the once-in-a-while explanation of your Twitter handle that you do. You do it every once in a while for a guest. I, I don't like... know what possessed me to agree to that Twitter handle back when we started this, <laughs> but um, I, I, don't, I really don't. But it's um, a nickname that I gave myself. Not a nickname, a middle name. I'm the only child of the three of us that does not have a middle name. And because my mom is Latin, like our mom's Cuban, and I guess there was a, like a lot of influence of that, I decided that my middle name as a child, like probably a very young child, should be Chi-Chi. Because that's, I guess, sounded Latin enough. And um, it has haunted me ever since. And so I, uh, my sister has her uh, daughter calling me Tia Chichi now, <laughs> not even my real name, which it's is fine. Best. My cousins, I have cousins that refer to me as Gigi. And um, I decided to lean in. I decided to lean in and use it as my Twitter handle without thinking about the fact that every week I'd have to say it out loud. The K <laughs> is the only part of my real name in there uh, for my last name. And Gomez is my husband's last name. And I could not do Chi-Chi Corman or Chi-Chi K. They were all taken on Twitter. So I was and like, Chi-Chi Gomez was taken as well. And so. Chi-Chi Gomez was taken. So I just, you know, combined all of them. But and, Gomez is not And you can follow me at Pancake and the number four table, Pancake four table, on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. And you can uh, follow all of our Friday Night Movie shenanigans at FridayNightMoviePod.com or at Fry Night Movie on Twitter and Instagram. Our theme song, which Joshua will not hear in person, you'll have to listen to the episode to hear, is by What Does It Eat? And uh, I want to give a huge thank you to Josh for being here. It was really amazing having you on, and we're so grateful that you made time to do this. And I think everyone's going to really love uh, hearing your take on, on all this different stuff. We'd love to have you back. It would, that goes without saying. And um, uh, Lily, do you want to tell people how they can rate and review us before we say our... You can rate and review us with five stars. We accept nothing less than five at uh on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts it's like giving us a virtual hug which is the only kind of hug you can give now anyways not allowed to hug in person so just rate us give us a review hug us virtually and everybody stay safe back we keeping you up here <laughs> you and my offspring everyone is keeping me up all the time Becky you have no idea. Josh, you have no idea. I'm jo- basically a zombie. Josh, you got a final word before we head on out? Boys, yeah, stay safe. 
and watch a lot of TV and movies because this is the time to do it. I'm binging more like I mean, and I, and, and what with the, I'm in the same boat. No school for for uh, what five six weeks, so I'm gonna be like homeschooling also <laughs> as best as I can um, in these in these interesting times. All right, well, thanks for doing this, guys. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.